Hello and welcome to The Solution, a wellness manifesto. I'm your host, Dr. Nate Lowenstein, and this is episode number nine, The Fight Club Challenge. All right, let's get into it. Before we dive into the episode this week, we need to take care of a little bit of housekeeping. One, my apologies for the two-week delay between episodes. We we had every intention of getting one done during the week, but we basically discovered that if it's not done on Sunday, there's no way it's going to happen. So we'll be better. Uh, two, based on a suggestion from a listener, we're going to start out trying something new. She suggested, and she's right about everything, that the show would be better off if there was a constant co-host or a guest. So you all met Coach Steffi last week, uh, well, last episode. Um, we're going to be taking this advice from this person, and Steffi's going to be a more permanent fixture on the show. So she's here to represent you and to make sure that I'm translating data in ways that make sense and that I stay on track and things like that. So welcome, Steffi. Hello. Last bit of housekeeping. I did tell you that I would be providing links to sources, and I did intend to do that. But when I went into the app where the podcast is hosted, I couldn't find how to add those into the episode. So... What I'm going to do next is put Steph on the job, and she's probably going to figure it out. It'll be like when I'm looking for something in the fridge, and then she walks in and grabs it from right in front of my face and hands it to me. (laughs) Sometimes I just have to walk in the room. You have magical powers. (laughs) Okay, so now on to what the episode is actually about today. I had said that we were going to get back into nutrition, and I lied. Occasionally, something will come into the news that's relevant to the manifesto, and I'm going to feel compelled to stop and talk about it. So... I get links to articles all the time. That happened this week. I was sent a pretty interesting article that took me down a rabbit hole of how we sort of feel about and react to the latency of illness. Let's start. What is the latency of disease? Latency is essentially how long it takes for an exposure to a risk factor. These are going to be terms that are important throughout the episode. Exposure to a risk factor to turn into diagnosable sickness. So there's a couple of examples, and we can use acute and chronic illness uh, because we'll be talking about both today. So I'll use them to illustrate my point. To understand latency, we need to know when we were exposed to a risk factor. So for something like COVID-19, when did I encounter the virus, and how long did it take for me to develop symptoms after that encounter? That's the latency period of COVID, and it's relatively short which is true for a lot of acute infectious diseases. Time between exposure and symptoms is usually fairly quick. Now, when we consider chronic illness, latency is much longer. The classic example that I think everybody can relate to would be smoking and lung cancer. You will not develop lung cancer within five days of smoking a cigarette like you will with an infectious illness. If you did, I think it would be obvious that no one would ever smoke again unless they wanted to get lung cancer for some reason five days from now. Obesity is going to be on our list of topics today as well. So a latency period for obesity, if we're considering obesity to be the condition, would be the time between the exposure to the risk factor. So in this case, we'll just overly simplify it and say, when you had an increase in your calorie intake and a concurrent decrease in activity. So you mean like when a person starts eating more, but moving less. Exactly. You're not going to develop a high BMI and a large waist circumferences the day you eat your first donut. It's going to happen slowly and gradually over time. So acute infectious diseases have short latency, but chronic illness, such as heart disease, have a longer latency. And as a general rule, that's exactly right. But like everything in life, 
you know, the black and white is just not how it works. There is gray area. Nothing is quite that simple. So you take something like back pain, for example, and I'm a chiropractor. I see back pain all the time. And it's likely that we'll get into some of the details on how or why that happens and why it's happening in an increased frequency. But for today, we're going to use back pain to further understand latency and our perception of it. So when a person has an episode of acute low back pain, especially if that person has never had pain before in their life, it's easy to think that that was a short latency. I didn't have back pain yesterday. Today I do. That was really fast. But remember, when we're considering latency, we always want to look at exposure to the risk factor. You could go all sciencey nerdy, but instead I'm just going to quote a really great book that I definitely recommend called The Story of the Human Body by a guy named Daniel Lieberman. Quote, for months or even years, you may be pain-free, but your back is weak and susceptible to injury. Then one day, you reach down to pick up a bag, sleep in an awkward position, or fall on the street, and wham, your back gets injured. Often when we see patients in my office, they'll believe that the risk factor that they were exposed to was picking up the bag, sleeping up weird, or a fall, when in fact, it's just the long-term buildup of weak muscles, altered muscle, spinal control, and restriction in joint movement. So that, that risk factor came from years ago. An even easier one to think of is a heart attack. One day you're fine, at least you think so, and the next day you've got an elephant sitting on your chest. Well, when was the risk factor for that heart attack encountered? It was likely years prior. Okay, so I can see some, I can see where there's some gray area and some overlap there. Right, at least the appearance of overlap. Okay, so, but how is that overlap? How is that relevant right now? Stephanie, that's a perfectly timed question. It's almost as if it was scripted. (laughs) When it comes to illnesses with short latency like an infection, the exposure to the risk factor is going to be recent. It's likely to not be several risk factors, but really just one. And in treating these illnesses or injuries, we often require what I refer to as a passive intervention. So for the purposes of this discussion, what I mean when I say a passive intervention, it's something that you don't have to do. It's something that is done for you or to you. So in acute scenarios like getting a bacterial infection, you're going to be given an antibiotic. You just have to take it. Or in the instance of acute trauma, you may get some stitches and receive a unit of blood if you've lost blood. But all of these things are done for you, and they're done in order to save your life in either the present moment or the immediate future. When it comes to a longer latency illness, there's an exposure, usually to more than one risk factor, and each one increases your risks, and they build on each other. So there's even models created for research to help understand effects of individual and combined risk factors on developing chronic illness. So examples would be maybe eating a poor diet, not exercising, smoking, those would all be considered long-term risk factors. Right, for diseases with long latency periods. So there could be complications within those two. For example, we're looking at the diet where you'll consume high amounts of processed sugar, you may drink excess alcohol. So those are separate and individually relevant risk factors that fall within the poor diet box. Got it. So then exposure to risk factors occurs over a long period of time before you truly develop the disease in long latency or chronic illness. And in some, a risk factor actually won't manifest in sickness. So some people who smoke won't get cancer. From the standpoint of the podcast and why this is relevant to the manifesto, it's that the risk factors in our lives, smoking, inadequate diet, insufficient physical activity, sitting all day at work, excessive drinking, or even exposures to toxic chemicals, whether by choice or otherwise, 
we have an option to identify and limit our exposure to those risk factors. As a society, we don't. If you look at the numbers that we go over again and again, we know the risk factors there. People still smoke. 18% of adults in America still smoke. The standard American diet, the SAD diet, is considered a risk factor for illness, but it's standard. More people eat this diet than don't. So lots of people are doing it. And what the, what that has to tell you is when you look around at it, it will seem less risky to you. All of my fellow humans are eating these foods. Plus they taste awesome and make me happy and want, and I want to do that more. So I will engage in that risk factor because it feels safe right now. And that's what really got my gears grinding on, on the topic for this week. So health is really in the forefront of a lot of our minds right now because we're looking at a risk factor exposure issue that's on the news every day. COVID is a virus that is causing illness in the world. I've mentioned it twice on this show. We're talking about it again because of the article I was sent, which I'll get into here shortly. But one of the light bulbs that came on for me this week was, we are significantly more reactive to short latency threats to our health. And honestly, that's kind of like a, well, duh. If you believe something is an imminent threat to your health, if you believe or understand that your health could be affected by this very soon, you want to respond. So we're always going to respond to an imminent threat because the threat is imminent. We have to prioritize. So long latency stuff is a problem for future Steffi, not now Steffi. Arguably, based on numbers alone, long latency or chronic illness is the biggest threat to our health. We've reviewed those numbers on this show multiple times. Here they go again. Two things that kill almost 1.2 million Americans every year, just in America, 1.2 million die of heart disease and cancer. One of the biggest issues with regard to chronic illness is that we're trying to treat it the same way we treat acute illnesses with passive interventions, and it's not working. Think about it like this. 600,000 Americans die from heart disease every year. Do you think that those people are not getting prescribed and taking medications? Oh, absolutely they are. Right. And most of them are likely to be medicated. And the irony is, what do you think they're medicated for? Heart disease. Right. Diabetes. Yeah. They're taking medications to treat the exact same thing that's killing them. A big part of that is that we're not taking into account our risk factors when we're treating these diseases. Car accidents are risk factors that cause injury and death. The risk factor there is the car accident. Passive treatment, seatbelt, crush zones, airbags. These are things that were put there for you. Now, you have to put the seatbelt on, but that'll reduce your risk of injury and death. Or if it's my car, it just beeps till it annoys you enough that you put it on no matter what. Did you have to wear it? (laughs) It's a great feature. Very passive. Bacterial meningitis infection. Right, So you have a a bacterial infection, we give you antibiotics, it's a passive intervention to eliminate the risk factor of that bacteria that's growing somewhere in your body. So when you think about it like that, tell me one medication you can think of that's being used to treat a chronic illness that's actually addressing a real risk factor. It depends on how you look at it. If you believe the risk factor for heart disease is high blood pressure and elevated cholesterol, then you'd think they are treating those risk factors. Right. But you're missing a step. For that to work, you also have to believe that the risk factors arose independently of external stimulus. And we know that's not the case. You don't just get high blood pressure one day out of nowhere. So our lifestyle factors are the risk factors and the treatments don't address them, which leads me to the article we have for today. Uh, Give me one second. Let me pull it up here. All right. Here we go. 
The headline reads, U.S. obesity epidemic could undermine effectiveness of COVID-19 vaccine. Right. So the, the headline of this article is saying, our obesity may make it so a vaccine's not effective for that population. So leading researchers on the vaccine being prepared don't believe this vaccine will be effective for obese people. And it's even likely that they won't be able to produce one that is effective to protect the obese population from COVID. This was news to me. Honestly, I didn't know that. I didn't know that there was a difference in how the obese population responded to vaccines. So I dug into it. I pulled up a few studies and it's, it's fairly well supported that obesity is linked to a poor vaccine response. So there's a few things to really unpack from that. One, this tells us, and it's mentioned in the paper that I read, and it, and it highlights the fact that the immune system function is negatively affected or altered in obese people. So now obesity can be seen as a risk factor for being more susceptible to acute infectious illness. And we already knew that was true. We've discussed it before. One of the key comorbidities and the worst outcomes of a COVID diagnosis is obesity. Now, before we leave the risk factor table, understand that I've just said that obesity is a risk factor for lowered immunity, but we're not down to zero yet. What are the risk factors for obesity? So we're seeing again, acute infectious disease and chronic disease overlap so we're going to continue to unpack and simplify. COVID is a virus that is spreading in the world right now. True. Obesity is related to some of the worst outcomes in patients with COVID. Many governments and employers are looking forward to a vaccine, which is a passive treatment, something that's done for you in order to get the world back on track. But that vaccine is not likely to be useful to the people that are most at risk for a bad outcome. That's not good. That's not good. What that means is that we are too reliant on passive interventions for our health. They have their place, okay? And I'm not here to argue that one way or the other. That is not urgent on my table. But we must continue to develop the understanding that health does not come from a potion, a lotion, or a pill. Our health is determined by the environment we create for ourselves to live in. We are, you are, I am, right now. And we will always be the epigenetic expression of the environment we choose and create for ourselves to live in. Another light bulb for me this week was that our reliance on these passive modalities that don't address the risk factors is growing. And this, I think, is a problem of belief, like a lot of things. So it's a belief that science will save us by producing a pill, potion, or lotion that's going to cure, insert name of illness. And this reliance is largely making us dependent on the systems that create those things. And social media is teaching me that some of you might believe that this is being done deliberately. And I'll tell you, that's well outside of the context of the manifesto, but what I can tell you is the only way that works, if that's something you believe, the only way that works is if you allow it to happen by ignoring simple truths that are pretty obvious. I don't believe there's a hidden conspiracy. I think it's right in front of us and we're choosing it. We eat foods and engage in lifestyles that create sickness, and we rely on ineffective interventions that just reduce symptoms, and the numbers tell the story. Chronic illness is going up. Chronic illness is making us more susceptible to infectious illness. There's an infectious, short latency, immediate threat in the world right now, and we've lost our minds when it comes to health. So remember when I said earlier that if smoking one cigarette would always cause cancer five days later, you would assume that smoking would stop immediately unless someone was willingly getting cancer, essentially committing suicide. So just think about that. 
That's what we're doing. When we ignore long latency risk factors and rely on passive interventions to create health, we are slowly killing ourselves. And the answer to that is to take a more active approach at limiting, well, identifying, and then limiting or eliminating the risk factors that you can or your exposure to them. One of the hardest things to do in making a change of any kind is just starting, just figuring out what to do and creating habits. But change happens all the time in people who want to change. If you don't want to change, you won't. If you do want to change, you can. Something will happen for you and then away you go. What happens? Well, I think what happened for me and I think what happens for most people is that there's a change in a belief that motivates you. If you believe, like Steph was saying, high blood pressure is the risk factor for heart disease or stroke, but not a high salt diet that creates the high blood pressure, you can't feel empowered to change. It feels like there's nothing you can do because your behavior is irrelevant. But if you believe that your behavior and your environment determines your outcome, then you know you're in charge. So the homework for this week is to start to look at our lives and identify our risk factors. And then look at where they're coming from and get them down to zero. So if you have high cholesterol, you go, okay, I have high cholesterol. That's not my risk factor. What's likely the cause of that high cholesterol? Then we can start to address and reduce those risk factors one at a time, one day at a time. Easy, slowly, look at one, work on it. If you have any questions about what risk factors to consider or if something even is a risk factor, shoot us a message. Homework number two. And this is the reason for the title of the episode this week. It's called the Fight Club Challenge. There's a scene in Fight Club where Tyler Durden tells club members that they have to go out and pick a fight with a stranger, and then they have to lose that fight. And I don't want you to run around picking fights and to be self-righteous health weirdos because that's not going to help anybody. (laughs) But what I would like you to do is I'm trying to do my part and encourage you. I want to do your part and encourage first yourself and then people close to you to start to reduce this dependency on passive interventions for long-term health by taking the more proactive approach. There is a health crisis going on in the world right now, and it's not COVID, or at least it's not just COVID. It's health in general. Our health is at risk. It is now and has been in danger for a long time. So the Fight Club challenge is to start to engage other people in conversations about health. Start with your family. Start with yourself. Asking simple questions. Do you want to be healthy? Because honestly, if the answer is no, that's no problem. You don't have to. No one's going to make you. But if the answer is yes, then you've got to carry on with some other questions. Number one, do you think you are healthy right now? And remember, when we're talking about health, we mean a a state of complete physical, mental, and social well-being. So if you're like, well, I am healthy because I don't have a diagnosed condition. That's not it. Are you happy most days? Do you take care of your physical body and your mental health? And if you're answering yes to all those, keep it up. Um, Send us a message on how you do it and we'll share it. But if you're struggling or if you don't think you're healthy, why do you feel that way? What can you look at and identify and say, this is the thing that's keeping me from being healthy? Then are there things within your control to change either right now or into the future? And what are you willing to do? So the challenge, the homework is just to start having those conversations. The goal by the way, is not to make you look at every risk factor in your life and then panic because that would obviously be counterproductive. Then you're stressed out and you're making yourself sick. The objective would be to start to understand just how much say you have in your own health and look for ways, even subtle ways, that you're willing to improve it. If you're sedentary right now, listening to this podcast, if you get up and go for a walk while I'm talking to you, 
it's a gigantic step in the right direction. So I know that my co-host has been very verbose. Um, you'll get used to it, but uh, it's a welcome addition, I think. So anything to add, Steffi? What does verbose mean? It means you talk a lot. Oh, I'm like trying to Google it real quick. Um, <laughs> um, I don't have anything to add. I'm verbose. All right. Thanks for tuning in. Next week, we're going to talk about chickens, cows, and breakfast. Oh, my. That's so, going to be a good one. That's going to be a good one. Thanks so much for joining me today on The Solution, a wellness manifesto. I appreciate you being here. I hope that the information we covered in this week's episode was beneficial to you and that you can apply it into your life to help yourself move away from sickness and towards health. I'd like to thank my sponsor, Functional Performance Chiropractic and Wellness, for their ongoing support. And I'd like to appeal to you. If you know anyone who would benefit from the information we're talking about on this show, and I know you do, please refer them back to episode number one so we can all get started on the same page. I look forward to working with you and them. Until next week, take good care of yourself.